Hello, Alaska. This is Pat Race. And this is Matt Buxton. And this is a podcast about Alaska. Uh, welcome back. I, I, I have to apologize for a uh, editing backlog, but we are going to have a lot of episodes rolling out here in rapid succession <laughs> as a result. So we'll have our first week of session episode probably like seconds before this one comes out. Um, today is uh, January 29th, and uh, we just wrapped up the second week of the legislative session here in Juneau. And uh, I actually wasn't around. Uh, I was up in Anchorage chasing around Duke Russell, the Duke of Spinard. He's a, uh, uh, illustrator and a bit of an activist and, uh, lately has been feeding a lot of people burritos, which is, uh, pretty admirable work. He, he was out at the Centennial campground and he showed up there and just started serving food. And they basically said, well, we can't stop you, which was their resounding endorsement of his work. And since winter has set in, he, has for about the last month or so been operating out of the Sullivan Arena, which was really fascinating. I got to go in there and see that place. And, you know, it was actually a lot warmer and nicer and kinder than I imagined. Hmm. Everyone was kind of like chilling out and doing their own thing. And there was a lot, you know, there's a lot of elbow room in there. They had him set up in a one of those old, you know, what was like the big burrito. It was like one of those old uh, food stand places on oh, the cor- right, corner right, yeah. yeah and it was great he was just slinging soup and and hot food to people we were there for breakfast and lunch and people were very grateful to have him there but it was it was complicated you know he's dealing with all kinds of regulatory hurdles and all he just wants to like give food to people and he's a very independent guy i guess is what i would say like he's kind of i wouldn't he's not exactly anti-establishment but he doesn't want to be part of like the the chain of command and yeah uh, he just wants to give people food and they're like you need a commercial kitchen or you can't prepare food in here and, and it's i it gets it you start seeing some real like cracks in the system when you're observing things like this like you see these people yeah, that so, someone who's ready and willing to help and is yeah well and someone who needs food you're like i i just want to give that person the food that i have and they can make a choice about eating it or not you know like it's <laughs> at some point you know there's no at some point there's there's nothing to stop me from giving you matt a, a salad or you know like and mm-hmm. you making a decision about whether you're going to eat it but it gets complicated i think once you're in a city facility and it just anyways it was uh, there was ups and downs and bright spots and frustrations and it was really interesting to meet some of the folks who were living there and um uh, i can't talk a lot about the project i'm working on but i'm excited to share it and in, in maybe uh, yeah, a few weeks or maybe a few months. We'll see how long it takes to edit. I think I've got a deadline, but it's uh, always a little squishy. Yeah. Anyways, back to back to uh, back to Juno. Here I am, and um, what's been what's been happening? I've I've been a little unplugged. We had the state of the state address, and I think that was the last big thing that I really paid attention to. But I also feel like it's a nice jumping off point for for this session and to uh continue my my um my string of haranguing uh the governor about his <laughs> his track record and policies anchorage editorial board about their call for a spending cap oh yeah i wrote right? i wrote a letter to the editor about that yeah i think we maybe <laughs> talked about that last week um i've been talking a while let me stop what did you hear in the state of the state address well it was so i I think the I think the really big takeaway, right, is that we've kind of been hearing for a while that 
Governor Dunleavy's second term is going to be much more moderate, much more workable, whatever, you know, better relationship with the legislature. It's all, you know, I think the really important context is that it's been terrible, I think, the last four years when we talk about, you know, the working relationship with the legislature, right? I think <laughs> the Matt Buxton state of the state. It's terrible. But I think that, like, you know, you look over the last four years, right? The first two years was this draconian Don Arduin budget where it was so radical that, you know, Kathy Giesel became the hero of the working party, right? So uh, I think that's like a really important context to keep in here. The bar was very low, right? And so uh, came out of it, you know, I think everybody was relatively, opt- you know, said good things, talked about, you know, Medicaid expand or uh, expanded Medicaid coverage of uh, postpartum for women and children. You know, I, there were some good applause lines that got applause from everybody, right? And I think the most is sort of important part to keep in mind with a lot of that is that, you know, devil's in the details, right? I think the Senator Bill Wilkowski from Anchorage said that quite literally during uh, the response, you know, like how does a lot of these, how do a lot of these policies, how does a lot of these speech applause points turn into actual policy, right? That's like the big question. How, what does this budget look like? And um, the other element of it, I think that really can't go unremarked upon, right, is his closing sort of few minutes of the speech that, he wants to make Alaska the most pro-life state in the country, right? So he kind of seemed to phrase it as if pro-life means more than just a, being an opponent to abortion. But, you know, so he's talking about, you know, having more workers for schools and filling the schools with more kids and having people creating wealth and having pro-family policies and not really any specifics at all other than, like, we want to make Alaska a better place for everyone, I guess. It felt like a rebrand. It felt like a, a, a rebrand of an unpopular issue. He's like, he's like, okay, let's see. Pro-life isn't working. How do we how do we make it sound cool? We're going to... Oh, pro-life... Yeah, taking mean, away... Yeah. Pro-life means, like, we want you to have a great life. We want Alaskans to be a great... And, you know, it's definitely not about, about making people have babies when they don't want to have babies. It's... Uh, and, you know, he, he said Alaska needs to not be afraid of having you know he's that that same language of of fear that he used during the pandemic of like we're mm-hmm. all afraid of of having families you know like why are alaskans living in fear of having a family and we and need to li- make basically the liberals have told you yeah. that you can have we, it all if you just we, don't have a family we need to uh you know we need we need, basically he said we need to get more babies out the door you know we we have we don't have enough you know it's like he looked at the data of alaska's out migration and is like the way we fix this is by turning up the baby knob and having more babies <laughs> the, you know, we'll just increase the you know increase baby production yeah and i think i think that's exactly right you know this is a governor who has spent a lot on outside count you know media consulting already you know there's several people you, you know that we've been seeing you know several contracts along those lines and I think this is exactly I wouldn't be surprised if we see this kind of messaging on the national level roll out pretty heavily soon is because I think it is like oh they they overturn Roe v Wade turns out it wasn't this magical political windfall for him it was yeah. it, you know it contributed in a lot you know in in some way to what this last election was one of the things i thought was most disingenuous about this is that he during the campaign four years ago 
ran on we need to make Alaska smaller we need to have more like 300,000 people we need to get rid of 100,000 people there's quotes of him at meetings saying we need us basically we need to like roll back our population we can't support as many people as we have it, basically Alaska needs to be a, a you know resource extraction camp and it, that doesn't call it yeah the warehouse of the nation quite yeah. as many people right and so um it, oh man we should pull this quote up just so I can accurately quote him um while a state senator, Dunleavy told reporters that Alaska needs to have 100,000 fewer people. <laughs> and then and then when he was running for office, he told the Ketchikan Chamber of Commerce, I'm going to take us back to the 60s. We were a state of 250,000, maybe 300,000. And our budgets back to the, back in the mid to late 60s were 175 million per year. But basically, to me, this is just sort of like points to this lack of any sort of through line that he the 2019 Dunleavy doesn't has very little in common with 2023 Dunleavy. And I, I don't, it's so weird to me that he's just like up for a rebrand. Like he's running around the halls, shaking hands with people after being a recluse for four years and a combative recluse. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it's good. Maybe I shouldn't criticize it. Maybe it's like I should just be like, oh, great, cool. New guy. Let's the new guy's great. We don't like the old guy. We're happy that he's whatever therapy he's gone through. It's working. But, I, yeah. The thing you know, is, though, is that, is that you start to like so the so then now we've had like a, a, another week to start to unpack some of these elements of it. Look at his budget. Look at some of the appoint. You know, he's making some appointments to certain places that are really interesting. I think the shine is already starting to come off in some of these committee hearings. You know, I think that it's becoming pretty clear that, you know, in his budget, for example, it's a, a deficit for the next decade. Even if, you know, this magical un, unimplemented new revenue comes online, there's still deficits. It's sort of, it's like a weird sort of level of status quo that I think we kind of saw in the last couple of years, right? Where it wasn't really, all of a sudden wasn't really trying to do so much anymore because, Cutting obviously didn't work, but the other element of that, which is if you don't want to cut and and you don't want to cut the dividend, then you got to get new revenue somewhere. And that's sort of been like the sort of the big question now. And we've just sort of been like stalled out on it. And I think it's, you know, there's a bigger problems than just Dunleavy in that element, but there's very little yeah. like leadership on it. And so, you know, he does have a new revenue proposal, I guess, that's on the table. Um, carbon sequestration, this whole idea that carbon producing companies and I guess nations around the world could come and pay Alaska to either kind of in two formats where you pump carbon underground and, and store it there, or you are paying the state to not cut down trees, basically. Right. And this is something that's been successful for Sea Alaska Corporation. They've made something like $100 million over the last several years by, you know, not cutting down trees that they're already not cutting down, which is a great way to make money if you, you know, if you're just, hey, cool, we can not do anything and make $100 million. That's great. And, and I think Dunleavy's looking at that and thinking on the scale of Alaska, we can probably make a lot of money for not cutting down the things we're already not cutting down. You know, he sees it as a little bit of a scam and, and, you know, yeah. kind of did the, the like, you know, I don't believe that the I don't believe climate, climate change is real, but or no, yeah. he doesn't believe it's man-made. I think it's his yeah. It's the current but let's position. take advantage of people who do think that, and we'll we'll be happy to take their money. Yeah, um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a step in the right direction in that he's you know engaging in this carbon credit program, but at the same time, it's like you know, is it meaningful and 
is it going to really last? You know, I think that the broader conversation around carbon credits, people are warming up to this idea that you can't just have a thing that already exists. It's not creating any meaningful carbon offset if it's something that was already just mm-hmm. sitting there. Right. So go out and plant some trees, go out and, you know, like sink. And, and this is where they're talking about sinking carbon into the ground. I think my question around that is, you know, how, how much carbon are you expending getting your carbon into the ground? You know, mm-hmm. and is that also being offset? Is that being counted in the in the math, or are we, or are we, trucking boatloads of kelp out to somewhere, and sinking it under the into the ocean, or you know, like what's, what are we doing, and how does that process look in terms of being uh, carbon neutral and carbon negative? Yeah, and I think so. It's uh, the Alaska Beacon had so the bills all fell or came out this this last Friday. Um, Alaska Beacon actually has a really good story talking to some key legislators about like just what their takeaway is on it, and and one of those key legislators is Senator Kathy Geisel, who's you know the co-chair of the House Senate Resources Committee, one of the big critics right of Dunleavy, like a big I would say a skeptic of Dunleavy all along, sure. right? She was Senate President during the draconian budget year. She was you know kind of expended a, a massive amount of political capital kind of preventing the worst of Dunleavy from happening. And was punished for it, was really. Punished for like it, she right? was run off in a primary in a partisan primary before the election system changed. Yeah. And and so uh I think that, you know, that this version of Kathy Geisel is not gonna buy anything the governor's selling without doing a thorough inspection on it. And so, you know, she's been pretty clear about wanting to understand everything down to like what kind you know, does the type of tree matter, right? Does how, what happens if there's a forest fire, right? Do we have to manage right. against that? Yeah, do we pay everyone back if our trees burn down? Oh, right. sorry. Right. Yeah. And I think these are like all really, really good, important questions to be talking about. And I think the reality, so the reality in that story is that um, the legislature, she's like, the legislature needs to like hire our own consultants for it. By the way, the governor hired our usual consultants. So we have to go find some new ones that we're comfortable with, which is going to be a whole process. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it could take years to really get this, uh, going because I think the important element of it that you know understanding it from you know the Republican resource development perspective is that the idea of like locking away land for near perpetuity regardless of what quality of that land is is always uncomfortable I think I think there's always like a fear that oh what if oil is under there what if mining's under there and I you know they, there's reasons they do all the sort of surveys and all that sort of stuff to like get an idea where it is but I still think that there's going to be hesitancy on that front of like quote unquote locking up land against development or or logging and and stuff so that's going to be a difficult push there to get across i think the idea that it's going to like magically solve our financial situation is like some wishful thinking right and i think that is especially when i'd say that veers away from wishful thinking almost into like snake oil territory well and the idea especially that like they're you know they have new revenue in this year's budget right so it's the idea that they're going to spin up a carbon sequestration program in six months you know and have it implemented with buyers by the end of the financial this fiscal year bringing in something like two or three hundred million dollars it's just to me is a wild like irresponsible proposition it's like saying you know yeah me matt bucks i'm gonna start making cars you know and i i yeah. will definitely have some cars ready to sell this year um Ooh, that's exciting i wonder and, what your your cars are gonna be terrible matt yeah um, no and so, no, like, so wait hold on back yeah. up a second so you're saying that this budget that we're operating 
that we're examining now has like two, three hundred million in it. That's it's just sort of phantom, probably just phantom money that's never going to materialize. It just says targeted revenue, right? Yeah. And the, the, so the other really important element, this is the other kind of big theme from this last week that I, I feel like is really important, is that it's either it's targeted new revenue slash uh, unstructured draw on the Alaska Permanent Fund, right? Because it's really our last major savings account that we can like easily get into and spend out of it. So yeah. we have the situation where, okay, well, revenue is not actually possible this year so if revenue is not possible this year then do you want to draw out of the permanent fund matt is that a draw from the earnings of the fund or yes that's not a, the earnings okay. reserve account of the fund yeah. which is many billions more than how big the draw is right right but you can get into it with a majority vote from either chamber so but the the whole issue but also that's not a seal that's been broken yet right that's right. like one of those magic things that no one's quite done but once it happens it's going to happen a lot that's the fear right um because so there's a law in place that says you can only draw out of it but the problem with laws in alaska is that you can ignore them right we've kind of established that the legislator passing a budget is essentially it saying we are ignoring this law and we're okay with it and because they're the ones that passed the law in the first place then it's all fine that's why you can't touch the corpus of the fund because the constitution says you can't uh, but you can touch the rest of the ER, the earnings reserve account, and get into that. Yeah. And I think that's really an important thing to consider right now, right? Because, like, when we passed this budget six months ago, seven months ago, you know, there's all these headlines about, oh, the finally have passed a balanced budget, all kind of this idea that, like, we finally figured it all out, right? All it took was a, a massive war in Ukraine, right, that drove up oil prices. And, and this financial market that, you know, gave us 30% returns on the year. And so, surprise, like, those things don't last forever. And so, you know, the, they had a really good talk where basically, like, half of our budget right now is based on oil. And that's extremely volatile, right? A couple dollars in price, a, a production shutdown yeah. changes it dramatically. Where we have another half of the budget is, like, the from the dividend, from the Alaska Permanent Fund, from the earnings reserve, through that structured draw... That's stable. We can like kind of count on that forever, right? But if you start drawing out of it without any sort of uh, limit, then all of a sudden that becomes more volatile too in the long term, it, or at least it starts to shrink. And I think that's like where it, you know, it doesn't take too many years before like the little, you know, the the 50% of stability we have in our budget starts to diminish, right? And I think that yeah. is where there's a lot of fear right now where it's like, you know, yeah, the governor's budget is only 30, it has a three $300 million deficit in it right now, but the solution to filling that deficit of drawing down our savings creates a lot of problems every year after that forever and ever, and they get worse and worse. And so... Well, and, until we essentially, like, hobble the permanent fund you know it's just drain it yeah and i think that's like uh, so i think that there's like some really big kind of like meaty long-term questions here i think that we have a legislator that is very strongly set up to try to avoid that 
But, you know, we saw last year that the call of a bigger PFD was hard to resist, right? And that was really, you know, that was really made possible by all those big oil prices and everything. And the fact is that, you know, the dividend, this $300 million deficit right now is with a full statutory PFD. So if you bring that down in some regard, you know, setting aside all the politics of it, it, do- it balances pretty quick. But, you know, you don't even start to touch issues like, you know the the big need for education funding that we've we've that's sort of the other big theme of the session so far, uh, or any sort of other like changes or investments. You know I think this is a long term uh, capital budget that can hardly has is is you know bare bones is charitable for this thing, um, and you know we one of the other big stories this week right was that. The, there's a bunch of federal money for the ferry system, but hey, Alaska legislature, you're going to need to put up like a hundred million dollars to get this, and demonstrate that there's going to be maintenance for it, mm-hmm. right? Like, and have a plan <laughs> for ongoing. You know, I mean, it's actually really great that the feds have put some yeah. guardrails on it. You know, like I don't want the yeah. federal government just like throwing money away in Alaska. I, I, it's great that they're like, here's this program that you can have if you're dedicated to having this program. And yeah. It's like it's like the puppy thing, you know, like you can have the puppy, but you're gonna have to take it for walks. And so does Alaska want the puppy through a lot of the the hearings we've had so far on the budget? There's like a returning theme of like, hey, you're building this. Are we going to take care of it? Because our history of like corrections facilities is, you know, really good example is we don't we build them and we don't take care of them. And then they decline. It becomes a health and safety issue. You know, we we, uh, had so we had a lot of hearings on education this week. There were like slides of buildings that were built in the seventies and haven't been renovated since and have, you know, the siding is separating from the walls and there's black mold on the inside and the, the foundation is propped up by a pile of wood. These are schools that are in use uh, today. Those rooms, the room covered with black mold is not in use, but it's part of the facility. Yeah, but yeah. the building is. Wow. Yeah. The education um, piece of this is interesting to me. There was a rally on the same night as the state of the state address, and I was invited to give a very like short, like sixty second talk, and it was, um, it was great. They they, I mean, not my talk. The the uh, the event was good. It was a good rally. I I get really uncomfortable at uh, at rallies because of the sort of I don't know. There's something about a large group of people chanting that makes me <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, but the but this they had music playing. Um, Tony Tangs was there. He's a local guy. He used to work on the ferry system, and he uh, was playing uh, the tune from Alice's Restaurant. And they had a uh, you, you can hear hear it in. I think there's a great K2 article with some audio, and they had kind of a sing song refrain, and they'd sing that, and then a speaker would get up, and then they'd sing the refrain again, and then the then someone would get up and talk about their own experiences. And it, it was just really like a charming, nice event. And it was a lot of educators and people that, uh, you know, parents and community members and school board members who want to see our education system flourish. And it was it was nice to be there and be a part of. And it helped me <laughs> to get over my fear of being in a pitchfork mob. Um, the... Uh, uh, the thing I talked about was my sister. Um, she's a, like me, born and raised Alaskan. Um, she got her start teaching out in Sleep Mute, which is on the Kuskokwim. And, uh, you know, I've seen her teach over the years. She's a really great teacher. I've got to go visit some of her classrooms that she's been in. 
Uh, I'd say she's like a mid-career teacher, so, so she's in her early 40s. And she's got a lot of good years of teaching left in her. And, you know, she does good work. She does hard work. And she gets paid really well for it. And that's because she doesn't teach in Alaska anymore. And that's kind of the tragedy is that she, both she and her husband are national board certified teachers. And they would love to come live in Alaska and they'd love to teach here. And we need them to come teach here, but they can't because it would be such a huge financial sacrifice for them. They'd be giving up a lot of their retirement. They'd be giving up a lot of their pay and kind of leaping into uncertainty. And, and essentially, Alaska is just not competitive. So we're in a situation now where people want to come teach in Alaska and can't. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, of course, we're having problems retaining teachers and hiring teachers and you know, the, re- the retirement aspect of it's really interesting to me. Um, that's tied up into this big conversation of like, you know, are we going to just take care of our firefighters and our cops? Or are we going to, you know, throw some teachers in there? Or, you know, what about the rest of state workers? There's a lot of incentive for people to take their 401k and leave the state once they've put a little bit of money in it. Well, especially because Alaska doesn't have Social Security for for public employees, right? So you're like literally on yeah. the edge, right? And I think for a long time, like the benefit of public service is that you had a pension that was sort of st- stable and dependable for the most part. And right, um, you know, so we we've had a couple hearings on that so far this session. Uh, the House Community and Regional Affairs Committee, chaired by Representative C.J. McCormick, has been having those hearings, um, and they've been really good. And I think it's it's really highlighted. I think just how precarious of a situation is like. If we want to be pro-life and pro-family and keep people around, I think having a pretty healthy public sector that is, you know, is making the schools yeah. like livable and, and quality and, and all that sort of stuff is like really important because, you know, one of the things that, that they're finding is that, you know, surprise, the longer a teacher sticks around, the better a teacher they are, right? The better the students are doing in those classes. Yeah. And, you know, this revolving door is, is not just like, costly for the you know recruitment and retention elements but it's just it's like costly on a performance element like the schools are not as good when you have to be cycling in a whole set of teachers every couple years and i think that's like one of these big challenges and i'm glad that you know that the senate has made this a priority for this session yeah and i think the other thing to look at you know is like we when we talk about base student allocation there's no mechanism in the base student allocation for increasing that funding as our you know, it, it, it's per student. So as the population grows, funding increases. But there's but as inflation creeps up on us, we're not seeing, you know, the, the, the thing I kind of threw out there was like, let's peg let's peg our education dollars to the price of eggs. Right. Yeah. You know, we're we're watching every, all these prices go up and we're not adjusting the, the amount that we're paying for our for our schools and our education system accordingly. And so right now, if you've got deferred maintenance in a school, which we've got all over the state, you know, that's a cut, essentially, we're put postponing, we're postponing maintenance is that's a, a cut, if you're not increasing the the base student allocation, that's a cut, because inflation's carving away at it. If you're not, if you're if you're if you're the legislature and issuing a bunch of unfunded mandates, that's a cut. And if, if you look back the last decade or so, or even as long as you know we've been doing this podcast, there's been just cut after cut after cut to education. And there's no wonder that it's the system starting to kind of groan and creak and buckle under the strain. Yeah, and I think, you know, that so far, the, the, the real big takeaway I have is that, like, at least so far, the committees that are handling this seem to be, like, better equipped 
to deal with it than maybe in the past because i think you know the last couple years i think you would have teachers coming or educators and advocates coming to these committees and you'd have you know you go over the same tired questions about oh isn't alaska spend the most per student of the country and why are our test scores so bad and it's like well alaska also like costs a lot more to educate in like there's reasons outside of the academic achievement that education is expensive to deliver in Alaska. Like we got it. And so like people understood that, which was good. I think like that. And so, you know, the Senate education committee is chaired by Senator Lukey Tobin from Anchorage. And and it's got, you know, Senator Jesse Borkman from uh, Soldatna, who's a high school history teacher. Uh, You have Senator Keel, Senator LV Gray Jackson, Senator, um, Senate President Stevens. These are all people who, like, in my mind at least, understand the fundamental benefit of having a quality education system that is accessible and equitable, right? And I think, like, it's a, to me, it's like a massive, like, sea change from having it be uh, Roger Holland and the Shelley Hughes show, right? in the Senate. And mm-hmm. so at the very least, like, I don't know what they're going to come up with, what, you know, they're going to have some legislation this upcoming week that will talk about increasing the BSA size. Uh, we don't know what that looks like yet, but at least I think that they're like interested in trying to find a solution that works for everybody rather than kind of re- reflexively saying no to education funding. We're going to find out like what the house is doing with it so far. The only thing that they really indicated was that they think the right wing Alaska policy forum has some good ideas on how to solve education outside of funding. So I'm not super mm. duper like optimistic about it over what the the house will produce. But again, if you start to kind of drill down into those committees, there's like some decent, you know, there's a chance here and there that they could actually like get the votes necessary to increase it in some way. Maybe they're not going to get the full increase, but they might stem some of the bleeding. And that's actually the other thing to keep in mind here, right? Is that what they're asking for right now isn't really an increase to education funding. I mean, it's an increase in like the nominal dollars that they're are going there, but the buying power is just keeping up with inflation is, is all they're really asking for. So they're, you know, running into big problems right now with expiring uh, COVID money and the fact that state education funding hasn't been increased. So it's been like papered over by this other recovery money or whatever. And, and so there's like this cliff that are, is like fast approaching for a bunch of different places. And so it's going to be really yeah. interesting to see how that all comes together um i really wouldn't want to be in a superintendent's shoes or school board shoes right now trying to figure out how we're going to make these budgets work because a lot of districts have millions of dollars that they need to figure out right now uh, of deficits and budget gaps yeah well we've seen that materialize a little bit already when you know different districts are talking about closing schools and the other thing too is that like you know so the real big question mark i think in this process is right the house and, and the governor i guess to an extent so we you know when the house organized i think there was a lot of like pearl clutching or or sort of like consternation about the outlay of those those committees right house education committee which is chaired by uh, jamie allard of anchorage assembly infamy Ooh. uh is the chair there but we're we're going to be three weeks into session this week, and there still hasn't been a single hearing at that committee yet. Oh. Um, there's oh, not one on the agenda this week. They haven't met. They haven't met and will not meet for this following week. They haven't, because they have to schedule everything a week in advance yeah. for public notice elem, uh, purposes. So there's nothing, I, like, I don't know what they're doing, but the well, less that they meet, probably better sometimes. So, yeah. But it allows the Senate to sort of, this Senate Education Committee to kind of get the narrative and ball rolling on like 
on this issue and this problem and they're kind of setting the groundwork for it where you know instead of having that kind of tired fight over but you're saying you that know, ultimately they're going to have to collaborate have to go through there. And work but eventually with... though but the thing is that the education committee is just like the first stop on of many stops for this so it goes yeah. then to you know a bill like that would go to the senate fi- or the finance committees the the floor and those are all opportunities where i think there are at least close to the numbers to for more some kind of education increase um, okay. i think well that's good that's good to hear I, I mean it still doesn't it still sounds like even even given some political willpower to increase education you know you're bumping up against the ceiling of this these financial realities like you're talking about the the ferry right. system and you're talking about the education system you're talking about the downward pressure of the the budget and sort of phantom funding and the you know the question of do we dip into the permanent fund earnings reserve and it it it's starting to, it starts to feel a little tight um and it'll be right. very yeah. interesting to see how they navigate that this session um, you know, and, and yeah. no one, no one is seems super interested in talking about other forms of revenue, like, uh, well, income and, taxes and, or, and, you know. And the thing is too, is that we, you know, are, it's going to be interesting to see how this all, you know, melds with the PFD fight, right? Because so far, like it has felt like the conversation over the size of the dividend is really dividend versus some kind of amorphous blob that is state government spending right and i think it's like it it you've seen people like struggle to really kind of argue against a smaller dividend just because it's like you know as we talked about in our last episode is that you know it's the real person benefiting from cut dividends is people who don't have to pay an income tax or something like that or don't wouldn't have to pay a tax and so but we, we haven't well, really had the same an, conversation of like PFD versus school funding, which I think I mean, can that's, be a little more difficult. That's an interesting more... thing, though, because like so so there's a lawsuit that just came out and it's basically about how uh, public school money is going to some private schools. Uh, and that may be in violation of the Alaska state constitution, which pretty plainly states that that's not allowed. And so yeah. they've gotten loosey goosey about it over the last several years with the you know, conservative governor and a lot of like more religious folks involved, like they they want to be able to fund private schools and private religious schools with public dollars because that makes them tick better. And they view that as like a better solution for, you know, that's a better education solution. Yeah. Uh, and that for, would be a pretty high. I think that's but, one of those things that's pretty high on the Alaska policy forum. So sure. And so, too. but you look at the permanent fund battle and all of a sudden you realize that the permanent fund is a great way for a parent to fund that private education. And so maybe what we're looking at is this like private education stipend versus a public education stipend, right? So the public education money is funded through the normal channels. Private education, if you give people a giant permanent fund, then they can choose where to where to funnel that money themselves. And so I think that maybe part of that is is rolled in there as well is like into mm-hmm. that, you know, why do they want a large PFD? I think that it sure makes it a lot more realistic that private school funding will, will go out because every kid then gets their, you know, their $3,000 or whatever to apply to the school of their choice, yeah. right? So um, I, I, I think that there's a little bit of that rolled into the into the PFD fight that maybe, uh, I, I, don't, I haven't really seen that addressed anywhere, but I think that that's kind of an undertone that is, uh, that is of interest to me. Mm-hmm. So anyways, what are you looking forward to this uh, in the week ahead here? Well, we have our State of the Judiciary on Wednesday, 
I'm kind of mm-hmm. looking forward to with uh, Chief Justice uh, Daniel Winfrey be his last one before he has to mandatorily retire. He gave um, a pretty good one last year, so I'm very excited to see yeah. what, what he does on the way out the door. Yeah, I think he's like you know I think what we talked about with that is that there's a real like strong interest for the well-being of young people right in Alaska and recognizing that he was a young person in Alaska at one point yeah. and looking forward to all the opportunities and, and possibilities of his life. Um, you know, I'm just interested to see, continue to see these kind of issues like the defined benefit, the pensions, you know, the public pension to be talked about some more education funding, the budget. Um, you know, I think we're going to start rolling into hearings on the carbon sequestration bill in the next two weeks. I think I just want to see the session start to kind of, get rolling more yeah it is kind of chugging along and getting up to speed still yeah well one of the things that you know i really am still interested to see is just how a lot of these house committees end up operating right because you know we've kind of seen that the top of it you know we've had several house finance committee meetings so far and they're it's really interesting because you know i i think i wrote at one point is that the last several bipartisan coalitions were bipartisan because they basically handed the reins over to a couple moderate Republicans who, with the other moderate or the other Republicans on the committee, could, you know, conveniently keep us a, a lid on anything the Democrats really wanted to do as far as big spending stuff or not even big spending stuff, just spending stuff. And so now you look at this or House Finance Committee, and a lot of the most extreme people actually are gone from it, and you now have a kind of actually a critical mass the other direction. You have two, you know, you have Senate representatives Edgman and Foster who are part of the majority, but they definitely share some interests with the Democrats who are very close behind on there. And so I think there are several other committees where I know people are kind of looking at them and saying, well, yeah, the chair's kind of a weirdo, but you might actually have the votes on the committee between kind of the Democrats, the independents, and the moderate Republicans to get some of these policies done. I don't know how, like, I don't know how realistic any of that really is. What was the committee that you were talking about? You said there was some committee that was, you said there was some committee that was a little bit like, that met and was a little alarming. What was that one? So, so the first, so the, so there's sort of the two big committees, I think that uh, are on people's radars when you're talking about the new house Republican majority. So that would be the house education committee with representative Jamie Allard. And then, the House Judiciary Committee with Representative Vance, who's kind of an Eastman-like, I think, maybe a little more open-minded with actually some, like, notes of kindness somewhere mixed up in there. So she's she's an interesting legislator, I think. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter, who uh, compared vac- uh, COVID screening to the Holocaust. So you know where he's at. And Representative David Eastman on it. So it's a very uh, interesting committee. But they had their first hearing this on this uh, last week, a bill about the spending limit and a bill about making it a crime to assault somebody in front of a child. It would be an additional crime there. I think it's going to be a very entertaining committee uh, to people who like messes, I guess. I don't know how else to describe it. There was a senator came over and presented the, rep- the representative's bill. There were talking about bills that weren't in front of them in violation of the public notice stuff. So that was all, like, kind of, I don't know, not a strong start, I guess. If you're, like, worried about this committee being, like, super effective implementer of hard-right policy, like, it's not super effective yet, right? I mean, they're talking about the great law books like Leviticus, so 
you got that. But what, what I again, what I go back to is that uh, so the Democrats on the committee are uh, Cliff Grow and Andrew Gray, who I think had like I talked to a couple other people had a really strong showing on this first meeting. Basically, like they did their homework and then some. Like I think Cliff Grow came prepared with his own set of slides that were evaluating the state's fiscal crisis. So like I don't know. I think like the idea that. It's like the end of the world because a couple you know conservative Republicans are the chairs and in charge of the committee versus oh and Jamie Allard's on this committee also by the way uh, so like you this know, is House Judiciary yeah so I think there's like some real fear that it's going to be like this hard right thing and it is but I think that effective well prepared voices in opposition or at least you know as the minority voices is going to make it really interesting because. I don't know. I mean, I, I, like I guess they, I'm, I guess I'm not like I'm not I'm not completely like in the dumps about how it came out because I think that uh, Cliff Grow and Andrew Gray are you. gonna are gonna do their homework, yeah. you know. And I think that I think that like making and coming from like because I think the worst thing you could do is like seed an issue or seed a committee and say, oh, that's only gonna be a source of bad forever, and we shouldn't even try. But I think you see Representative Grow, Representative Gray asking like hard questions and also like willing to engage with everybody and and kind of debate issues and and get there. And I think that like fighting the good fight is is a worthwhile endeavor. And I think that I don't know. I think that for for all the people who are like you know ah shucks this is going to be the worst thing the world's over. And I, I think we'll just wait and see a little bit. I think that, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of really sharp legislators who can keep some of these people honest, at least, or at least on their toes. feels like it's going to depend on what bills land there. Yeah. I mean, and, and the, I mean, I think the other thing, too, right, is that we just got through Senator Laura Reinbold Judiciary Committee that was like a, a distraction, right? It was like an impediment for the legislature to get its work done. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't advancing a whole lot of like actual conservative policy so yeah but i don't sure, know i mean i think like rooting i don't know for, <laughs> it, it sure made a lot of noise and it was and it felt like it got in the way of of things getting done and i feel like that's what's going to happen here is this is going to be a a noisy needy time-consuming committee that yeah but like doesn't really advance when they, a lot when they of, have the yeah but the, at the end of the day though like they have the votes to try to advance some of these like noxious policies and i guess i would rather them if they're gonna advance if it's if it's you'd between this and de- the anti-trans de- student bill i'd rather have nothing basically right i'd rather have them get nothing done than getting something that is regressive done so you're basking in their ineffectiveness a little bit yeah, yeah. okay all right I mean, um, we'll see right so- it's the first meeting of the session we'll, we'll find out how it goes from here but uh i think at least just for all of the doomsday scenarios uh, at least this one will be entertaining. I think you're going to change your tune. I think that you're going to be saying well, you know different what? things about this committee in a couple well, of weeks. You know what I, I ended up doing when the it was land of Laura Reinbold after I think my second banning from Twitter, uh, just stop covering it. Right. Because it wasn't that you know, I think you're right. Like it's in these, these committees ultimately are really noisy and they take up a lot of attention but like, what are they actually doing, right? And are they advancing policy that's in, uh, that at all? And I think that, like, as a reporter and as I'm like deciding how I'm covering these things, that's like an important thing to like keep in mind. Is right. like, am I 
am I doing her the Donald Trump favor, right, of, like, giving her the press that she wants or they want when you could just as easily, like, not care about it yeah. because they're not going to be able to do anything anyway, so. All right. Well, on that note, let's stop talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> the Okay, so you have some... You have some big personal news. I don't know if you're ready to share it or not. Um, yeah, if this is going to come out after Wednesday, then sure. Uh, yeah, I guess so. What's uh, what's cooking? So uh, I've been doing the Midnight Sun uh, since 2017. Uh, you know, working basically with publisher uh, a guy named Jim Lotzfeld, and uh, as of this week, I'm no longer working with publisher Jim Lotzfeld uh, on it, and so. Kind of the next steps are hopefully going to come together by then. Yeah. Um, but basically, the, the sort of the long story short is that he sold it, Midnight Sun, to uh, the Alaska Current. It is a, I don't know, a progressive publication um, that is sort of new. Very new. Uh, out there. Um, what that means for me is that um, really... I am going to be continuing doing the newsletter uh, more fully, I think, that, that I'm kind of excited about this opportunity of sort of rethinking how I'm doing my work. So uh, my newsletter will kind of be my primary work moving forward. Um, I do have an agreement with the Alaska Current to be doing some of what I was doing for the Midnight Sun as far as, you know, more sort of traditional news articles over there. But sort of long term, it's kind of uncertain right now. Yeah. Uh, if you always want to subscribe to my newsletter, that'd be great, uh, <laughs> any form. But uh, yeah, uh, it's it's been a really interesting uh, couple years, several years now. And uh, yeah, well, I don't it, know. I, thing, as somebody thing... who's like kind of constantly thinking about work and stuff and how I do work and workload, like it's sort of exciting to shake some of that up. Yeah, and rethink it. Yeah, it's also a little scary to kind of be going away from what was a you know a stable source of income to a much less stable source of income well change can be good and it can be scary at the same time and uh i i'm kind of excited for you i have a million questions that i want to ask but maybe i'll just wait on that and we can talk yeah. about it another time um i'm very interested in like the shape of this organization who's involved what it is like a who, who you work for? Are you contracting? Are you an employee? Like all of that's very interesting. That's contracting. You're con yeah. yeah. Well, and because that's the thing, like I think that you're coming from the news miner and then going into the Midnight Sun, like it became, I think, complicated because you were working for an, a publication owned by a lobbyist, right? And so it's hard for you to escape the reality. Contracting for a publication. Con <laughs> oh, were you contracting for the, you were not was, an employee? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. But I think that the, the, you know, That's why my newsletter is mine. It's my how, project, yeah. How journalism is funded is is important, right? And how who is working for whom and who is paying the bills is, is kind of a big question because y you want to know, you want to understand what is going into the media you're consuming. And we've talked about this a lot before is like knowing, you know, like news often comes with a point of view and understanding what that is is helpful to, to be able to parse it and and get the most out of it so i think in some ways it's going to be really good for you to be no longer work you know contracting for lotsfeld under the 
Midnight Sun, but it'll be interesting. It'll be a whole new set of questions of like, who are you now contracting with and how independent are you? Like, are you more, are you going to be more independent in this new scenario? And um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting yeah, to, I mean, to see where you're, where, how this shapes your, your trajectory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, that these are our answers. I, you know, questions I, I am still working through right now. Um, yeah. This was all kind of quick. Yeah. Uh, kind of caught me by surprise yeah, you were probably one of the first people i talked to when i was learning that this was going to be changing and that was um, like not that long ago it was like a week and a half yeah ago, i think so uh you know i've been taking a lot of meetings and i think you know it's sort of re-energizing on that front you know my my feeling with it is that it's going to be good to have kind of more clear direction with some of this i think you know one of my big struggles over the last six years is seven years doing this stuff with the blog is that i kind of don't know when i'm doing a good job or i'm doing a bad job right i think that uh is sort of tough um to navigate and so having a little more kind of responsibility to myself and the product sort of directly is going to be nice there i think that um It'll be harder, but I think it'll be good for you. Yeah, I, I think that, like, I don't know. I think that, like, I've, I've had a lot of struggles with just how I get this all done and what it is. And I feel like in the last couple of weeks of discussions and, and soul searching and all that sort of stuff of, like, figuring out how I'm going to make pay all these bills uh, has been really good in kind of reinvigorating my interest and energy for what I'm doing. And, yeah. uh you know, I'm excited I think, to sort of see what's next. Yeah, and I think that like the 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 takeaway for me is that like anyone who wants to support your work, who likes your writing, like the Alaska memo, your newsletter is like the way to go. And you're not doing that for anyone but your subscribers, right? You're working for right. the subscribers, which is kind of like the oldest, most traditional news model, right? It's like you buy a paper and you're mm-hmm. supporting the paper. So it's like um, I think. Oh that, yeah, and that's the other thing too. It's also the Alaska memo now. Oh, Not okay. Midnight Sun memo, yeah. So yeah. you had the right, yeah. Thanks. Okay, yeah. yeah no you're problem. already on the branding change, yeah. And then you and I will obviously keep doing our little hobby podcast to talk about the mm-hmm. legislature thing, and that is uh, kind of independent of all that other stuff too. But it's a it's it's a good chance for us to check in and chat. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I think that's plenty, and uh, we'll pick it up again next week, and I'll have more questions <laughs> for you about. Yeah, thanks. About, yeah, we were. Tra- we were trying to keep this uh, thirty yeah, minutes and I know. fifty-five failed. minutes is at least it's under an hour. So okay, we're gonna start doing shorter episodes more frequently is kind of the yeah. goal, just so that we can kind of keep up with the session. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts, and we'll see what happens. Yep. Uh, also, we're like no promises because we're we're bad at keeping them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye. All right. Bye, Alaska.